Well, we are starting a brand new series called Think. And we're going to be looking, the Bible has so much to say about what goes on between our ears. Okay, there's so much that happens up here within the, the crevices of our mind. And we want to make sure that we have our thinking aligned with what the Word of God says is true. So let's go ahead and jump off here and we're going to launch with this idea that our lives are built by the choices we make and how we think and what we think about guide our decision processes. Now back when I was in at ASU all those years ago, my freshman year, one of uh, I had a couple of different roommates. My first roommate there in the men's high rise it was from Brownsville. And he would go way down south to Brownsville, Texas every weekend. He would make that long journey there and back every weekend to go and see his girlfriend. And during that one day, he was talking to me about his journey down there and back. And of course, he's driving late at night a lot and that he had this apprehension about coming up on a drunk driver. He said, I just know I'm going to come up on a drunk driver one night. And he had a plan. He was, he was ready and and knew what he was supposed to do if he came upon a drunk driver. It said, you know, that if a drunk driver is over there, and of course the, he's concerned about being in his lane, that he knew you always turn to the right. Don't try to go around him to the left. Don't try to get in that empty lane, because all of a sudden they could just all of a sudden recognize, huh, I'm in the wrong lane, and what are they going to do? They're going to jerk to the right, and then you have a head-on collision in their lane. So he was prepped. He was ready. But he had this thinking in his mind that he was going to come up on a drunk driver. He just knew that he was. Well, about 3 o'clock in the morning, my phone rings there in the high rise, and I get a call, and it's him. And he's telling me he's been in a wreck and that I needed to come out to this little little community and this little uh, convenience store and pick him up, that the, the uh, law enforcement had given him a ride that far, and I was going to come and pick him up. So he was pretty rattled. And I didn't get much of the story, so I go down there, load up, go pick him up. I'm coming back into Angelo, and I'm asking him, dude, what happened? What was going on? And he begins to tell me the story. that He was driving back to Angelo, and he comes up, and he sees these headlights in his lane. And he immediately starts going, oh, man, it's a drunk driver. It's a drunk driver. So he's just coming along, coming along, and he's just like, man, these lights, they're right in my lane. And he's getting closer and closer and closer. And finally he recognizes he's going to have to make this evasive maneuver. And he's going to go and he's going to do what he had already planned to do. He's going to miss this car and he's going he's to go to the right. Well, there was, there was a problem with the scenario is the fact that this the car that was there, he said that the car wasn't in his lane. The car was way off the shoulder and that they were shining lights on some people that were way down in the ditch that a car had gone off and they were help shining some light over there to work on it. So he tells me, you know, that when he jerks his wheel over, all of a sudden he jumps in to the shoulder and has a head-on collision with his car on the shoulder. And when he tells me this, I just totally bust up laughing. And he's just distraught, and I'm just laughing, and I laugh at so many inappropriate things. I just, I just do. It is my natural response. I laugh at everything. My wife has had to forgive me for laughing at the wrong times a lot. And I am just laughing, and he's getting madder and madder and madder at me. I was like, bud, you know, you, you just got to have 
to think about it from the perspective of these people who are working on this car way over here. Is here's this car driving along in its lane, no problem, and at the last second, jumps out of its lane and has a head-on collision. They had to think you was a crazy man. I said, and, and the problem was, is there were really there was no issue. He was totally fine. There was nothing in his lane, but his thinking, he was so wound up. He was so afraid that that was going to happen. He ends up creating his problem that he was so fearful of. See, our thinking, how we think, determines how we live. Our thinking matters. It absolutely matters. We can't go on without being purposeful about our thinking. We looked there in Matthew 22, and Jesus is asked, they said, teacher, What is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You and I have to be good at loving God even up here, even with our mind, even with our thinking, even what's going on up up within these uh, wheels turning in our lives. Then we look at Proverbs 22, and we're first going to look at it in the literal version. And it says, do not eat bread of one having an evil eye. And this talking another translation talk about a greedy guy, a miser. Do not desire his delicacies. For as he reasons in his heart, so is he. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. You shall vomit the bit you have eaten and spoil your pleasant words. So you sit there and this miser, this guy who doesn't want to give anything, and finally he decides he's going to give you something, but he's not really giving it to you, and that guy's going to extract every bit that he has given you back out. Why? Because the way he thinks is the way he is. He's not going to be able to really respond any different than the way he thinks. The New King James Version says it this way. It says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. See, the way we think, that determines how we really are. With that, we have to be so careful about what we're letting go on within our, within our mind. Now, you never found me quote Wikipedia. And uh, there's a lot of teachers and whatnot that don't like them, like my children, using Wikipedia on their different sources. I realize it's kind of the people's uh encyclopedia and that's why i wanted to reference it because this is made by what we as a community have decided what this is and let's look at the at thought or thinking what wikipedia says it says thought and thinking are the processes by which these concepts are perceived and manipulated thinking allows beings to model the world and to represent it according to their objectives plans ends and desires So you don't have to be a theologian to understand that our thinking matters. It shapes our lives. And so we have to make sure that we bring our thoughts in line with the way God intends us to think. Remember, he set before us life and death, blessing and cursing, and we're going to have to choose. So we want to make sure our thinking is right so that we can choose life over and over and over again. See, seeing where humanity's thinking initially went wrong gives us the insight on how to correct our thinking. Back years ago, I went through the process of getting my, getting my private pilot's license. 
And it was, uh, I mean, just a brand new world for me. I didn't know anything. And so with the, I go through the ground school and going through all my, all my lessons and all that stuff. And one of the things they take you up and they teach you as you're flying is that uh, they're going to want to make sure that if you end up getting the plane in some sort of awkward position that you can get it out again. So they take me up and my instructor made me close my eyes and uh, sit there. And so he would mess with the plane and take it up and get it all in this crazy positions and stuff, whether it's in a dive or a climb and doing stuff it shouldn't be doing, and then tell me, okay, all right, respond, open your eyes and fix it. And of course, they train you to immediately, don't start doing anything. I immediately have to look, check my gauges, check my horizon, check out so I can see what's wrong so that when I bring correction, I bring the right kind of correction. If I simply begin to respond in the wrong way, I could make the entire thing worse. You actually have to take a little step back. You have to take a little breath and go, okay, well, where did things go haywire? Where, where did things get off? And so that's what we're going to look at right quick. We're going to look and see what on earth, where our thinking went wrong, so that we can in turn bring it about and make our thinking get in line with what God would have us to think. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3, which we often do. That's where things, the wheels fell off for humanity. So we're going to see what happened there. So we can, as God is doing his restorative work in our lives. And let's look at, at verse 4. It says, uh, this, this is the serpent talking. It says, you will not surely die. Eve has already told him, look, you know, if we eat of this, we're going to die. God says we're going to die. And, and immediately a different option is presented satan presents a different option god says you're going to die satan says mm, no you will surely you will not surely die the serpent said to the woman for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil there's going to be like god and you're going to be knowing something now all of a sudden that began to be this desire satan begins to pull there at the heart of humanity and begin to pull at that. It says, And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, desirable for increasing this, 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 my thought power, my deciding power, then she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden their, their, their eyes were opened and they recognized and they saw good and evil. They saw both. They recognized that she wanted to be like God and know good and evil, wanted that wisdom, wanted to be self-sufficient in their thinking did not want to simply take God at God's word and decide, well, I'm going to go and do this. And at that point, all of a sudden, everything went off. I tell you what, we are still having to fight that tendency. Every time, every time we come to this place where we want to rely on our own selves, that's why the, the writer Proverbs said, you know, to <clears throat> don't trust in yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge God. And he's going to direct where we need to go. He's going to help us make the life choices that we are supposed to make. 
And see, I love it here because they all of a sudden they recognize that they're naked. Now, they don't recognize all of a sudden that they're naked in the middle of the mall. Okay? And so, oh my gosh, how, how, did I, how did I get out of the house and I'm, I'm doing my Christmas shopping in the nude? No, it's just the two of them. They're married. God did the ceremony. It's okay that they're naked. It's fine. They're married. There's the context. It's okay. But So what happens? There's no sin there. What happens that they all of a sudden begin to feel shame? They are, their mind is flooded with the unholy, ungodly use of the naked form. And at that point, shame begins to be tied to it. What happens? They're simply, their thinking shifted. That was it. They all of a sudden saw good and evil. Before, all they understood was good. And when all you understand is good, there's nothing wrong with nakedness. There's not. But when you understand all of a sudden the evil use of it, well, then all of a sudden it's time to like start clothing and putting stuff on. And oh my goodness. And there's just the two of them. They don't have to worry about their neighbors. Adam would say, hey, Eve, cover that stuff up. And the neighbors don't come around the corner anytime now. No, it's just the two of them. What was the deal? It was just in their mind. They understood something. We have to make sure that we get back to where we trust God and what He says and don't lean on our own understanding. God responds to them and says, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The, <clears throat> the uh, CEV version says, How did you know? You were naked. How did you know? Did you eat? Did you disobey me? Of course, God knew what had happened. We have to make sure that we don't fall in those footsteps where we so want to be the ones in control. Russ did a great job with the blog this week, which you need to be doing the regular reading. And I'm talking about control freak. That was, that was what happened here. They wanted to be in control. They wanted to be in the pilot seat. Now, we have to embrace the fact that to love God completely and to live life fully, our thought life needs to be directed by the Spirit. I don't know. I guess it's just been way too long since I've flown, and so I, all my thoughts were going towards flying. So I have another flying story for you. Sorry. Uh, obviously, I need to go fly at some point. And, um, but anyways, uh, when I was doing that training, um, I, I remember my first... Uh, take off in my first landing and of course the, the, the plane has the you know the the yokes on both sides so my instructor's helping me and do all that stuff and and um i remember my, my instructor's hands are over there on on his yoke and i'm doing mine and we i make my my first landing and i didn't realize i did it though he told me that was all you that was awesome seriously i thought you were doing that i thought i just kind of just had my hands over here he said no you did do it again so we go up and we do it again, and over the period of the next few weeks, you know, I'm, I'm soon I'm the one totally in control of the plane, and, and I knew I'd got enough hours under my belt that I could do the whole solo thing. But I'm telling you what, there is an, a wonderful amount of reassurance on having that guy sitting next to you who, if you want to uh, pull a Stacy Lahone and jump in the back seat, um, you can do it. And uh, that's an inside joke. She was at a... She, she was at a, this is a side story, it's just funny. 
and uh, she was learning how to drive. And uh, she got a car and, and at a light and got a position she didn't like anymore. And she crawled in the back seat. She just left the driver's seat empty. I'm done. And, uh, you know, when you got God, you can do that every once in a while. And, uh, you know, and it felt good to be able, if I needed to, you know, I could just say, whoop, tag out. You're it, pilot. You're it. And uh, so we were going through, and I knew that at some point I was going to have to solo in this process. And uh, we went up one day, and we go around and do the little touch and go thing. And he says, all right, go take it over here. You're going. You're soloing. Seriously, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. And uh, I said, nope, you're ready. Go, go do it. And uh, you know what? I seriously, I did not feel ready. I, there was not this courage flowing through my veins going, come on, let me get out of here, guy. I've got this. I tell you what, I had to simply take his word for it. That he, he, was, he taught lots of folks. He's been watching me. He's the one. I'm going to put my life in what he says that I'm ready to do this. And sure enough, I go up, and it was incredibly nerve-wracking as I make my first approach, and I land it just fine all by myself. And uh, it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it was an incredible thing. But our lives, we have when we really begin to live the life God's called us to, we have to begin to rely on the Spirit of God. God's going to carry us places we don't think we're ready for, and he's going to hold us back out of places we're convinced we're ready for. And he goes, mm, settle down, boy. You are not what you think you are. And uh, we have to live life directed by the Spirit and have our thought lives directed by the Spirit. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want life and peace. And so to have that, I've got to have my, the mind controlled by the Spirit. I have to sit there and, and allow that to work out in my life. Second Corinthians 10 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, it says demolish strongholds. All right, now that sounds like this massive fortress. You know, Satan, we're going to get your strongholds. Let's look and see what these strongholds are. Let's look. Let's look at this. Demolish strongholds. So what do we demolish? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, what? Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know where the strongholds are in our lives? Right here. It's the way we think. We have to invite and trust God to come and renew our thinking. Help us to see the way he sees instead of falling back into our own destructive patterns over and over again. We have to rely on that. Those are the strongholds. It's the way we think, the way we perceive the world. And the beautiful thing is, the wonderful thing, is that we have a weapon that helps us to know how to think correctly. We have a weapon that is able to go in there and to discern and be able to separate and show us what's of the spirit and what's of the soul? What's just what we think is a good idea? And what's really a spirit idea? Let's first off look at Ephesians 6, 17. It says, Take the helmet of salvation 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We talked about this last week. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So what does this word sword do? Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges what? The thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It comes in and begins to show where we really are. I tell you what, we desperately need to hold the word of God up and that let that be our mirror in our lives, to let that really reflect what's going on. Because I tell you what, I am the best, I can, the only person I'm really any good at pulling the wool over is myself. You know, I, I can't psych my wife out, I can't psych anybody else out, but man, I can totally deceive myself. I can think my intentions are pure. I can think that all this stuff is, is good. And when it really comes down, the Holy Spirit speaks to me out of his word and says, Clark, you, this is what's really going on within you. And I, oh, seriously? God, genuinely help me. And see, and that's what another James tells us that we do with the word of God. We let it reveal what's really happening on the inside of us, those thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It says, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Don't just listen to it. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks into the perfect law that gives freedom. See, we don't have to be afraid to look into, into this truth thinking all of a sudden it's going to squelch our lives and make it worse. No. This is the law of freedom. God is showing us how to get free. You know, my kids love playing all these video games and man, when they get stuck, they need a cheat code. Then go over there and pull that up online and figure out how to get past something God gives us. He designed this whole system and he gives us these by the Spirit to help us be able to get through life but if we look into the word of god and don't want to do what it says it's pointless we look into the mirror and reveals exactly what kind of person we are now we have to go okay god what am i going to do about it that's why we ask the questions over and over and over again where are we and which way forward from here we are committed to that growth process to radically ask god god where am i show me where i am and now that you've revealed it which way forward? You only want good for me. You only want to carry me forward. You only want to grow me. Let's get this going, God. Which way forward? How do I move forward? That's what we have to be radically committed to in our growth process. See, we must choose to make the truth that God has given us in his word be the foundation for what we think. We have to make that decision. We're using something to decide what's going to be the, the validity for the, our lives. The way we think is going to, it totally determines how we live and the choices we make. So what's going to be our paradigm? Is our paradigm going to be our life experience? No, because there's good that God's promised that a lot of us haven't experienced. So we can't go off of life experience. Yeah, it shows us some of the negative we can have. So what are we going to go by? Our, our habits? 
Well, if you want to keep bumping your head on the same things you've bumped your head on before, sure. Or we can make a decision to say, God, I may not fully understand it all, but you've put your spirit in me that wrote it. And I choose to have your word be the truth that guides my life. God, help me. The parts I don't understand, help me to understand. And God, the parts I do understand, oh Lord, help me to live. Because God, it's only by you. And at that point, God begins to renew our thing. We begin to look at things in a different way. We begin to see each other in a different way. We begin to see what God has for our lives in a different way. And we begin to build a different kind of life. See, Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. But if we don't choose to walk in that life, it's there and we never enjoy it. We never enjoy it. We got to choose to take the life, have God's word be our foundation. Now this morning, we want to make sure that everybody starts off at, at